Good afternoon. This week, we are privileged to be discussing Parshas Vayishlach. Very exciting to be with everyone on our Erev Shabbos class. We miss Aharon Yehuda Muller, who cannot be here at the beginning of today's class. We always enjoy his introduction. Today, the title for the class is Where is America Heading? I'll be perfectly honest, not quite sure, but I want to mention some thoughts. Um, Continuing with the title is planning for the best while bracing for the worst. Betrayal versus loyalty and the wisdom to see true intentions. This week's learning is dedicated to the merit of Rufuish Lema for David ben Leah, Dober Tzvi Hirsch ben Dina, and Yehoshua Leib ben Rivka. So there are many, many big topics in Parshas for Yishlach. I want to begin with uh, what some people would at least consider the elephant in the room, and that is the story of Shechem. The story of Shechem seems incredibly difficult to understand because we have what seems to be peace talks and overtures, and we have seemingly an accepted deal between the people of Shechem and Yaakov and his sons. And it reaches such a critical moment that the agreement is struck for the people of Shechem to undergo circumcision. And after they do the circumcision, on the most painful day, which is the third day post the surgery of the circumcision, at least two sons of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi, take up their swords and attack and kill all the male children of Shechem. Were more sons involved or not, not crystal clear to me, uh, definitely what to talk about, but one can only think of this story on the surface as something horrible in terms of a messaging or an advertisement of Jewish conduct in international peace negotiations. Now, putting it you know, in somewhat of a more fair context, we should mention that the leader of the town, who is named Hamor, along with his son Shechem, for whom the town is named, uh, committed a devastatingly dastardly deed in that Shechem, the son of Hamor, actually abused Yaakov's daughter Dina took her, kind of either kidnapped her or cajoled her into being um, his partner or lover, not exactly clear, and they don't return her. That is, the heads of state of the town, Hamor and Shechem, go and make a request. They ask for permission to have marry Dina, but they hold on to her. They never give Dina back, so to speak. That's very clear from the sentences. So we have the, you know, the story in a bit of a broader context when we realize that it's not just that the Jewish people you know, were making a peace treaty and then just killed everyone. There was a terrible travesty that was committed against them. And there's a sort of maintaining of that violence by virtue of the fact that Hamor and Shechem are not giving up Dina and giving her back to her family. 
So that's a very important uh, way to color in the story. But I personally am still extremely bothered by the fact that we seem to have a negotiation that's on the up and up. It seems that Hamor and Shechem approach somewhat respectfully and ask for permission to marry Dina. A deal is struck because the children of Yaakov say, listen, we can't give our sister, meaning the daughter of Yaakov, man who was uncertain. This can happen is if people agree to have circumcision and then you know, we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters and we'll dwell as one people. So to me, this story is very difficult because it seems like they had an agreement, a deal that was on the up and up, and then suddenly everything changed and they, you know, the, the children of Yaakov killed out all the males and plundered the city. That's a very difficult thing to live with. Now, um, yeah, it's very possible, like uh, Dr. Horowitz, that, that, you know, to learn the psukim that way, that uh, the other brothers were only involved in trying to bring Dina back. Very possible. I'm, I'm just leaving it open. Um, but everybody's still with me? Now, yes, can you hear me? Just a thumbs up? Okay. So, you know, recently I posed this question, and at the table was an Israeli uh, who is very passionate about the land of Israel. And he said to me, I'm bothered that it bothers you. I'm bothered that you have a question. This is what you need to do. You know, if a terrible misdeed is done to you, this is how you have to deal with people. This is how you have to act. Now, you know, I, I, I try to listen. I try to absorb. And I have with that point of view, but I certainly can understand, you know, the temperament of people that have been mistreated for decades, you know, in their homeland and, you know, being called terrorists themselves, I can understand. I'm saying I could understand to some extent. But let's talk about from the Torah point of view, why it's very important to look at this story differently than that. The language of the sentence is that the children of Yaakov answered Shechem and Hamor. So we're trying to understand the difficulty you know, that is the story of Shechem. So what I'd like to do is actually point out a couple of the, you know, critical points in the wording of the deal and understand what it is that the children of Yaakov are offering. And this is why I'm saying, I think we need to understand this story differently than it's simply a violent response to a violent misdeed that was done to them. This is 34. Sentence 13. It says that the children of Yaakov responded to Shechem and to Hamor, his son, the Mirma. The word is Mirma. Now, the Unculus and Rashi translate this word Mirma as Chachma, wisdom. That is, that the children of Yaakov responded with wisdom to Hamor and to Shechem. Now, the way we're understanding the story, right, the way this other person wanted to understand the story, you know, unless you say lying is wisdom, uh, it's hard to translate this word as wisdom. It would seem to be a straightforward lie. Listen, yes, you know, we'll all be one happy people. You'll circumcise. We'll take your daughters. We'll give you our daughters. Uh, and then just to turn around and kill everyone just seems to be a straightforward lie. 
which is the way that the Unculus translates this exact word when Yaakov confronts his father-in-law Lavan in last week's parsha. After Lavan switches Leah for Rachel, he in the morning he says, "Behold, it's Leah." He goes to Lavan and he says, "Lama rimi sani? Why did you mirame me?" Same word, which the Unculus translates as "shakarta bi." You lied to me. Now that seems to be a good translation. So now we have to understand why is it that what Lavan does with this word is called a trick, and what the children of Yaakov do with the same exact word is called something smart, something wise. Why is that? It's the same exact word. And in truth, it would seem that in both cases, it was a straightforward lie. Yaakov had uh, you know, a deal with Lavan that is, you know, in yeshivish terms, it's called Barachel Bikhaktana. It was a crystal clear terminology. I want Rachel. She has to be Rachel, your daughter. She has to be the younger one. You can't switch names between the two girls. That's what you call crystal clear contract writing. Uh, there I mention, you know, something that Kanye is apparently jealous about that the Jews are able to read contracts, right? The point is, Yaakov had that crystal clear messaging. And Lovin didn't trick him. He didn't do something wise. He just lied and gave him Leah instead. That was against the deal. And in this week's parsha, when the children of Yaakov respond, yes, we'll marry you, you'll marry us, we'll do business together, you'll circumcise, everything will be wonderful. Seemingly, they straightforwardly lied. But yet, the Unculus translates it as wisdom. So I'm coming to explain that. Okay? Fair enough? Okay, so here's my suggestion. If you read the story carefully, and it needs to be read very carefully, after the news comes to Yaakov's children that this disgusting thing was done, the father of Shechem speaks with them, and he says, listen, my son Shechem desires, his soul desires your daughter, please give her to him as a wife and marry us, your daughters you will give to us, and our daughters you will take for yourselves. So I want to ask you a simple question. What does that language mean? Your daughters you will give to us, and our daughters you will take for yourselves. He just said, and we'll marry each other. We'll get married. Okay, this just, if you want to follow along, it's sentence 30, nine. 34, 16, I think. What's that? 34, 16, right? So the, go back to nine. Okay, go back. To, okay, because the first time that, that, that this offer is made, it comes from Shechem's father. And again, he says, you know, give Dina to my son as a wife. And in general, we'll get married with each other. But he clarifies. He says, your daughters you will give to us and our daughters you will take for yourselves. Why is he adding that extra language? So here's my very simple suggestion, because he's saying you're going to decide which of your daughters will be allowed to marry us, and you're going to decide which of our daughters you're going to take. Who's going to be in control? You, Yaakov, your children, you'll decide. That's what Hamor says as an offer, to which the, the children of Yaakov respond something very clever. They're very, very smart. They say, listen, if we're really gonna be in charge, we have to understand something here. 
we can't just marry people that are not like-minded, monotheistic, in a covenantal relationship with God. That's not what we're all about. We can only give our sister or our daughter to people that buy into our ideology. Now you're saying that we're gonna be in charge, that's great. But it has to be that we are the same type of people. If you're going to agree that as a nation, you're going to circumcise, not all of you today are going to circumcise, but from now on, you will be a circumcising nation. And that's um, sentence 16 uh, and uh, 15, uh, four, oh, sorry, yeah, 15 and 16, right? is that you will become a circumcising nation, sentence 15. And then in 16, if you will be like us, you'll be like us, that you will become a circumcising nation. Then you're right. We will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters. We will be the ones to decide because we're not going to assimilate into you. You're going to convert and assimilate into us. But they know full well that that may not be the genuine intention of Hamor and of Shechem. They know that, but they say that's fine. If that's what happens, no problem. So then the Torah says, this was a good idea in the eyes of Hamor and Shechem. And they hurried, and he was the most prestigious of all of Shechem's family. This is the hoi poloi. This is the best of the, this is the cream of the crop. What happens? They go in sentence, 20 to the gates of their city. They speak to the men of their city. Sentence 21, they say, you know what? These people, these people, sounds a little bit like profiling. These men, right? They're good with us. They're going to dwell with us. They're going to do business with us. Their daughters, we will take. Their daughters, we will take as wives. And our daughters, we will give. They changed the deal. And then they go a step further. Listen, there's only one condition. You really want to be in charge of these Jewish people, you know, and you want to be the ones to decide who's marrying who and that they're going to do business with us, which is going to be good for everyone. You got to circumcise. You got to sacrifice a little blood, you know, and then everything will be what you want. Okay. And we'll be circumcised like them. And then sentence 23, their cattle, all their possessions, all their animals, want to belong to us? They're looking to take over. It's explicit in the sentence, sentence 23. Their goal is to take over everything that these people have. Just let's agree to them and then they'll dwell with us. And everybody who went out to town did circumcise. And that is what the children of Yaakov, either Shimon and Levi or more, are responding to. Because we have to remember that Really, the fact that they did not give Dina back, they didn't do press a reset button and say, listen, we're going to give Dina back to you. And now let's have a, a negotiation from the beginning. They were leveraging and manipulating that the children of Yaakov should come to some kind of an agreement. And whatever terminology they use, we know what the real deal is. We're going to take them over. We'll just convince them that we're good with them. And then we'll end up owning everything that belongs to them. And ultimately, they were perpetuating the takeover that Shechem started. Hey, there's a woman 
I want her. I'll take her. Oh, after I take her, by the way, can I marry her? Right? Who does that? Only a person who feels like he's entitled to take. And his father goes along with that. The one who's in charge. Right? These are the best of the people. They go along with that. They say, you know what? That's right. To which Shimon and Levi and the other Jewish people, the, you know, the, the, you know, the rest of the brothers also respond that this is a terrible, devastating thing. This is not the way nations can treat one another. And this is against the, the, the seven laws of Noah. It's not proper justice, which is, you know, early commentaries say, and therefore these people do deserve to be killed for this kind of a depraved way of thinking and this type of a, you know, a destructive society. And that's what happens. Now, very interestingly, Yafuavinu never complains that what they did was wrong. Never. Not here and not in Parshas Vayichi. What Yaakov complains is that you made me look bad. You know, the bottom line is, you know why you did what you did. And you know that you acted with integrity. But it doesn't look that way to the casual observer. Right? The, the other outside people, they can't see all this that you understand. And therefore, that's a problem. And he, even later, he doesn't, he doesn't chastise them. He doesn't chastise them for what they did. He chastises, chastises them for acting with anger, which you know, maybe they could figure out a better way to make it clear to the entire world the true intentions of, of these people, meaning of the people of Shechem. And so right off the bat, I would suggest to us that that's a very important, extremely important message that we have to internalize. If we want to combat the anti-Semitism, all the you know, rearing of the ugly head of the hatred that has been latent against us and is now coming out again, we have to make it as crystal clear as possible, both the true intentions that we have for the world, for the benefit of the world, which is something we talk about often, but also the nefarious intentions, the self-serving intentions, the takeover intentions. I'm jealous of the Jews. I'm jealous of their success. I'm jealous of their money. I'm jealous of their education. Yeah, okay, what's your point? What's your point? That you're entitled to what they have? That everybody should give you free stuff? What's your point? We have to make it very, very, very clear that the other people that are fomenting this hatred are simply doing power grabs, being authoritarian, and trying to take for themselves and not being a positive force in society whatsoever. And that kind of a society, if it's ratified by the government, if it's ratified by the people in charge, it could be that there is no hope. So the answer to the question of where is this country heading, when we see that the people that are in charge in office, that the vast majority of them are agreeing in policy and in action and in speech with what the crazies right now are saying, it's a very, very, very bad sign. That's when society has become officially corrupted. That's a horrible sign. And that was the problem here. They weren't dealing with some Schmendrick named Kanye. They weren't dealing with him. They were dealing with Hamor and with Shem. I mean, he was a Hamor. Let's call it, you know, like it is. It's fascinating. That's what he's called. He's called a donkey. The donkey was in charge. Okay, Hamor and Shechem. 
you know, the, these were the people in charge and this is what they were advocating. And they said one thing and did something totally asked, something totally different. And to us, the way the Torah gives us the information, it's very clear what their intentions were. They were presenting that will integrate into you. And really they were saying, we don't care what they think, we'll take them over. And we're really entitled to this, you know, and that's why we don't have to give Dina back, etc. That's something that we can understand if we want to have a chance at fighting, you know, this kind of false advertising, I think the Torah is making it very clear to us that we have to be able to clarify and give out this messaging of what the truth is behind the hatred. Forget about the fact that the hatred is not true. Forget about that. It's what are they trying to accomplish? We're going to try to take over this country. We're going to try to get them excited about murdering, you know, millions of Jews so that, you know, we can have the clean Aryan race again, right? They can be in total charge. All of this, we have to clarify as much as possible. I don't say for a second that if we clarify it, that it will definitely change. I just say that that's something we have to also do, which leads me to the point of, you know, bracing for the worst, but also preparing for the best. So now I just want to mention we have, let's say, about seven more minutes, eight more minutes. I want to mention this story that we just did in the context of another story in Parshas Bereshis that we discussed a couple of weeks ago that also uses the word nirma because it clarifies for us, in my opinion, an essential component of Jewish identity, which I spoke a lot about on Wednesday. But here's another facet of it that I'm realizing today, and that's what I wanted to share with you. So the Torah says that when Yaakov walks out with the brachos and Esav walks in and Yitzchak, uh, Esav says to, 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 you know, to Yitzchak, I'm Esav, I'm here for the blessing. So what, what does Yitzchak say? Who was the person he referred? Oh, your brother came bimirma. Your brother came with mirma and he took your blessing. The same exact word that we're discussing. And how does the uncle is translated there? With chachma. He came with chachma. He came with wisdom. What? It wasn't a straightforward joke. It wasn't a straightforward trick. It wasn't a total mockery of everything, you know, by just merely lying. Hey, I'm Esav when he's really not Esav. That seems to be a straightforward lie. The answer is that the brilliance of Yaakov throughout his life, which is typified in the story that we just read, is that Yaakov always presents a person on the other side of the table with the choice to decide who they are going to be. This is, and I'll explain to you exactly what I mean. When it comes to Asaph, he says, sell me your birthright. Did Yaakov hold a gun to his head? And say, give me, you know, give me your, give me the birth rate or else you're dead. No. He this of a choice. Do you want to take responsibility for the birthright or do you want to run away from it and give it up and sell it to me? That's a choice. Asaph chooses to sell it. He goes to Yitzchak. He says, Yitzchak, you're planning to give the brachas to Asaph. Do you want to give the brachas to Asaph or do you want to give the brachas to somebody who acts like Asaph but talks like Yaakov? A kol kol Yaakov hayadaim de what do you, Yitzchak, really choose? What's your choice? He doesn't merely go in there, pretend like he's Esav. He keeps giving Yitzchak's hints that he's really also Yaakov. He talks with Derech Eretz and he mentions Hashem, right? He doesn't ever say, you know what? Uh, if you don't believe me, you know, you must be uh, senile already. Just give me the brachos, you know, let me get out of here, right? He, he never forces the issue. Yaakov is always giving the other person the opportunity to decide to choose. And the same thing happens with Rachel and Leah. We mentioned a lot of this last week. I realized a lot more after our class. I shared some of it with Reverend Akiman. I spoke about it last Shabbos. 
What Yaakov is really trying to do for Russell and Leah is get them to see the difference between Yaakov's love for them and Lavan's love for them. Lavan's love for them is narcissistic. Lavan's love for them is selfish. Lavan's love is let me create my dynasty. You guys work for me for 20 years and everything is mine. Everything is mine. The children are mine. The daughters are mine. The cattle is mine. Everything is mine. So it takes 20 years for Russell and Leah to realize Lavan was just using us. He doesn't really love us. Yaakov works for nothing for 20 years. And his final deal with Lavan is, I have a great idea. I'm going to work for you. Just let me work for me too. Anybody like an employee like that? I'll work for you for nothing. Just let me also work for myself. Everybody would love that, right? So the fact is, Yaakov is convincing Lavan, uh, sorry, Leah and Rachel to make a choice. Do you choose Lavan's love or do you choose my love? You're going to come back with me to, to Eretz Israel and build the family with me or are you going to stay in Lavan's house? It's giving them a choice. That's exactly what a Jew needs to do. Recognize the potential of the other person. You try to help them to achieve their potential, but you have to give them a choice to be who they're going to be. And that is an amazing feature of Yaakov Avinu. It continues in his, throughout his lifetime. Even, even the brothers, I mean, even if you think about it, he didn't officially, officially appoint Yosef in charge. He gave an indicator that Yosef should be in charge but it's up to the brothers to decide. He left that whole thing to the brothers for all the years to decide between them. He never steps in and says, you boys don't know what you're doing. Let me explain to you how this is done. He lets them grow into their roles of responsibility and make their choices because that's the only way to actually help people fulfill their potential because they have to make the choice. Like Hillel teaches us, if I don't make the choice for myself, nobody can make the choice for me. I have to decide. So Yaakov is forever giving people that choice. And that's the wisdom of the discerning of true intentions. You put the choice in front of them. You want to convert? You want transformation? You want a nation of people who are circumcised? Or you want to do a money grab? And you want to try to convince us? And, you know, really your plan is to take us over. Yeah, you got the choice. The children of Yaakov learn from the best. They learn from their father. And they, that's exactly what they present. And it's very clear what the answer really was. And so, therefore, is that even as we face, you know, all the troubles that we face in this country, and we're feeling secure and feeling, you know, anti-Semitism on the rise, and we don't know where we We need to be paying attention to what, what is the true intention of the society. Are they trying to just take advantage of us? Are they trying to ultimately blame us for all the problems, end up with uh, taking our money, just exactly, which is exactly what happened in Europe, right? Exactly. How many millions or billions of dollars were lost from Jewish wealth? Phenomenal amount. Is that really what's happening in society? We have to be paying attention. And what does it mean to, to brace for the worst? You know, it's a problem because I'm just going to mention this uh, in my humble opinion. If America is not safe, other than a miracle, I don't know how safe Israel is either, right? If the entire world is really on American side against Jews, is Israel really safe? Isn't a major feature of Israeli security the fact that America is its loyal ally? So I don't really know even what the options are really. Maybe, as a friend of mine suggested, it's time to start thinking about, you know, having a bank account with significant funds in Israel. Very, very possible. Um, maybe there's other options. I don't know. We have to brace, you know, prepare for the worst. 
just like Yaakov in our parsha, prepares for the potential battle with Asaph. But I want to conclude with one final point that I literally a few minutes before I share, I finally felt like at the beginning of an answer, and it teaches us one more lesson about preparing for the worst, when we can also relax a little bit. And this is, I think, very important. As we know, we're dealing with this problem, and this parsha is the parsha to learn from how to deal with the hatred of Jews. One of the fascinating things about the entire storyline of Yaakov preparing for his confrontation with Esav is that he has a strategy to divide into two camps. And he does that. He divides into two camps. But the problem is, as Rabbi Nachman, you know, pointed out to me, and it's always been a question of mine for many years, is that when he meets Esav, everybody's together. So he starts preparing for two camps, but he ends up as one camp. So it seems like a total exercise in foolishness. Yes, I'm gonna prepare for two camps in case Esav decides to try to attack us. And then he ends up in one camp the next day. So what is going on? So one other question that's related to that is that when he sends the offerings of animals in front of him, the Torah says, and Yaakov was lodging overnight in the camp. Okay, then he says he gets up in the middle of the night and he takes everybody across the river. Can you imagine in the middle of the night is when you take your family across the river? What's he doing? What, what is the plan? They were two camps. You know, I have a great idea. You know, if I want to really be prepared for battle, I'll tell everybody to go to sleep and I'll wake them up in the middle of the night, cross the river. It seems, it seems ludicrous. What is he doing? So I had a very simple idea that I want to put in front of you. And I think that a major lesson can be learned from it. Yaakov knows that if Esav meets the gift givers, Esav is either going to say, hey, that's interesting. You know, maybe, maybe there's something in this for me. Maybe I can get these gifts. Maybe I'll see Yaakov. Maybe Yaakov will give me even more. And maybe, maybe there's something to talk about. Or Esav is coming for blood and he'll literally only see red as his name. And he'll just start killing everybody. So Yaakov, of course, says, listen, if he starts killing the gift givers, somebody's going to run back here and tell me that, ya that Esav is on a murderous rampage. That's what's going to happen. So I suggest that until the middle of the night, Yaakov didn't know Esav's true intentions. When he realizes that, listen, by now, somebody should have gotten here to tell me that Esav is just killing all these people and you know, just plundering everything, that hasn't happened. It means Esav has accepted the gift, or at least he's strongly thinking about keeping that gift up. Then I don't have to do my strategy of splitting into two camps. Then I can face Esav like one camp, he will present in a very obsequious manner. We're all going to bow down to him several times. Or say, you're my master, you're my master, we're your servants. And Esau is going to go for it because that's what Esau wants to know. And if you look throughout the sentences, you know, Esau's one question is, hey, who are these people and to whom do they belong? I.e., uh, maybe these should be mine too. <laughs> right? Like, that's his whole question. He keeps predicting. Esau is going to ask you, hey, who are you? Where are you going? To whom do you belong? And that's what Esau says when he says to ya when he meets Yaakov for the first time after all these years with all this, you know, subtext in their relationship. Hey, who are all these people to you? And Yaakov says, hey, these are the children that God has granted your servant. <laughs> you know, they're basically, you know, we're vassals of yours. And uh, listen, take what you want. You know, I'm here to give you as much as you can possibly handle. Great. And that's our answer. When the, you know, the haters of Jews of the world are being placated by the various gifts and offerings and you know overtures that we're making for them and we're giving them the feeling that they're in charge and you know we just want what's best for them and they're not just lashing out and being violent and trying to kill us 
uh, we can get a little more comfortable. That's the lesson that I'm referring to. And that I'm suggesting is what Yaakov actually does over here because he knows that at some level, Esav will be willing to buy into that concept. And it's true, Esav does ultimately buy into that concept. As we know, they reach a parting of the ways. And for the most part, we don't see Esav going after Yaakov any further. So the bottom line is that there's an incredible brilliance that the children of Yaakov display which Apple has, which is the wisdom to discern true intentions and to give people the opportunity to be who they're going to be. And along the way, you know, sometimes people make good choices, sometimes people make bad choices. Rachel and Leah clearly, you know, made a great choice. Asa clearly makes a horrible choice. People in clearly make a terrible choice. Uh, the brothers and Yosef you know, we'll say they make a complicated choice. Uh, at the end of the day, this is what Yaakov was trying to do. And it's an incredible feature of being a Jewish person, the ability to you know, get to the truth of what are the other per person's true intentions. You try to give them the opportunity to succeed. You plan for the best and you brace for the worst. Any questions or comments? I have, I have uh, two comments. One of them is that a word appears in uh, uh, in Hamor's uh, exposition, which is the Seyachazubah. And that comes up again at the end of Vayigash, Vayyachazubah, before they go, as they go down to Mitzrayim. Yeah. So it looks yeah. like, you know, here's Mitzrayim also. Here's a rich family who wants to come join us. We'll give them a, and they have this son who's already a, an officer in the government. We'll give them a nice place. And then eventually we'll, uh, we'll uh, plunder them and make use of them. So it looks like a, a, an interesting, a, a, something I noticed. Let's let's get him let's get him in here and let him get let him get grabbed. Yeah, it, it, the word yeah yeah it can it can also okay. mean yeah to maybe be trapped. Yes, very good. And the next thing is is that I haven't had a chance to go out while I'm listening to you and get get my Nicholas Godos to Helen. I'm wondering how it's translated. Lamed Dalad Yud Dalad and Sorli Shonka Meira Usosecha Bidaber Mirma. Where Miramar is looked at kind of a negative thing. Yeah, yeah, now, that that. I'm gonna leave that as an open-ended thing and see and see how yeah. that's uh, how that's dealt with. Yeah, it definitely can mean deceit and and lying. It just doesn't always mean that. I think it depends on the intention of the person who's doing it. Am I am I giving the other person an opportunity, or am I presenting one side and really I'm being two-faced and I plan to capitalize on the other side? Which was love okay, and all along. Okay, now I understand what you're saying before. Okay. Yeah. Have a good Shabbos. You start Kochacha. Good Shabbos. Thank you. Doesn't have to come. Doesn't Mirma have to come from the Lashon Roma going up, lifting up, and then it'll depend if it means something fake or something uh, or something um, wise. Has to be some kind of neutral lingo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the showish of Rama and what's the showish of Ramai, unless you say, I'm just saying, you have to really look at the etymological, uh, you know, the etymolo etymology of the word. And then you can really figure it out. Well, I think yeah, lifting up is Romain or Ram and uh, Ramai. And Ramai well, it's, definitely is, it's definitely coming from Ramai. And if so, you know, Mirmoy is used in cases where it really means Ramai, but you see the fact that it can mean wisdom. Uh, it definitely does mean wisdom. Yaakov was using wisdom with uh, Yitzhak and Asa. It's worth thinking of more go both ways. What? Yeah. The Gemara says that two words, Nishan, Nidma and Arma, 
but armors with yeah. an eye in it, then that's that's also actually related. Yeah, you're gonna get it, you're gonna get really involved with the eye and it's really you can take it off. You have to know, yeah. you know, it gets real deep grammar. For example, uh Hirsch has with his olive, like bachol means to eat, and uh kola, yeah. no, it means it comes from the word kola, which means to uh, um, consume and achal means to consume within yourself. So ayin has to have some kind of meaning too. And the arm of there, it's always going to mean something uh, deceit. Yep. Irma might not mean that. Did the Gemara? Oh, sorry. Hello? I don't know. I, I don't know who's, who's going. Well, anyway, I'm just asking, getting back to the uh, sons also, I'm just curious about the brothers. You, you touched upon it, but I'm just curious because I was Madaik in the Pesukim myself. That it's it's first of all again everybody never deals with the chumash as if it's real and if you realize the story itself it's literally physically impossible that two people should have the strength to kill out a hundred hundreds of people it's just impossible you cannot wave your arm that long that you could kill people you know uh, hundreds of people at least were in the town you should even if they're all weak two people don't have the literal strength kill out a few hundred people. You cannot do that. There's no mention that it's a miracle. That in, indicates that the brothers were there. And if, I think there's even a, one of the verses can be learned that the brothers were there and they did, they did, um, they did, yeah, uh, okay. they, they participated. 3427. Yes, I'm just saying it's, I'm just, if you, you know, nobody thinks in those real terms. Hold on one minute. Okay. <laughs> Somebody else wanted to say something? Yeah, hi, Yidl Goodman. How are you? Yidl. There's two things. Arma and Mirma. Arma doing the chakra food to food. Mirma means to buy. That's really the difference. Arma is something with that. That, that, that I, minimum means something something so, so you think Arma is the with Arma, the Gemara said, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing that I have to, to give trimmer. So I'm doing Arma taking it, when I use the word Arma, it means I'm doing Chachma, not to to bypass the halacha thing, or somehow you're not in the that I'm saying. But let's say it tells that you you Jew, I'm an American citizen. If you say I'm an American citizen, you're not lying. You're not a Jew. So that's called the R. And minimum, I'm outlining. It's a little hard to hear you, but I think I think we're getting the reception is a, is a little in and out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to change my device here. I'm just my son. Give me a second. Okay. Thank you. 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 Thank the people are at fault. It says, Ashatime Esachoso. The Pusik itself is made on that. 
gives testimony to that fact. Yeah. And that's why they're getting yeah. killed. Yeah. 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 So, no, so this what, average, so, but no question. Yeah, for sure. So I, so I'm just curious. I wasn't paying all that much attention for a few moments. But what are you saying? In other words, let's assume that all the brothers participated. What would you be saying that they were the Shimon Levi were just a vanguard, or they weren't really going to kill everybody? But Shimon Levi took the initiative to start the killing. I mean, how, I would say that's a different that's a different ballgame. Yeah, I would say that they both equally took the initiative and instigated the killing. Yes, but the I, brothers I don't, I don't know that it was obvious to the other brothers that the thing to do is to kill everyone. They decided that, and then the brothers went along, if you say the brothers went along. And Yaakov did not, it seems. No, well, Yaakov didn't go start the whole ball game anyway. He kept quiet till they came and decided what to do. But I'm saying that even if I say the brothers eventually bought in, Yaakov did not. Yaakov for sure did not buy in. Right, so that's an interesting you know, question also. Yeah, but Maybe it, that, you, know, you see clearly that yeah. he want that they justified their activity, right? They said, yeah. Yaakov did not answer them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Dr. Patterson, and again, and again, you're, you're with you're us saying, this week? You're saying that's a different ballgame as well. Um, I just yeah. said... Yeah, it's more. There's, here. I just have some very general thoughts um, it strikes me that uh, part of the, the context of, of what's happening with the return to a relation to Esau is uh, wrestling with this strange figure through the night and and uh, being blessed with the name of Israel um, so the blessing, the blessing consists of a question and a summons. The question is, what is your name? And from now on, you, you shall be called Yisrael. It's, just, it's, a, it's a question that entails, do you know who you are? <laughs> do you know what your responsibility is? Do you know how to answer Hineni when you're called by name? And this is, this is a question that the Jews put to anyone we encounter. It's about the re a relationship. And of course, Yisrael, uh, he's named Yisrael because he has strived with God and with man, both. Not just with, although it means with God. Yeah. He's blessed because he has strived with God and with man. And striving with man is tied to striving with God. Um, bearing, you know, bearing witness to the chosenness of everyone. Jews are chosen to say every human is chosen. And now you have to decide where are you going to go? Who are you going to be? That's, that's your humanity. Your responsibility is your humanity. So when we engage others, Jews and non-Jews, believe me, Jews can be a problem too. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's, it's part of our blessing, part of our assignment is to is to bear witness to the truth that each of us is chosen for a task for which we are accountable and responsible. It's not that I'm going to let you choose. You're already called to choose, and I'm here to tell you you're called to, to choose. You're chosen to choose. <laughs> yeah, 
Good. Anyway, a couple of thoughts. I appreciate it, as always. Yeah, please. What? If I can call you, Eva. All right, Kachabas, everyone. Henry, great Chavez. to see you. Shabbos, shalom. Good Shabbos. Shabbos, everyone. Talk soon. Shabbos, everybody. Shabbat.